Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where you get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. And I'm really excited to talk today a little bit about publishing with uh, Myrna Gale of 3G Publishing and her chief editor, Awari Marasha Washington. Wonderful to have you on the show, guys. Thank you. Or I said, should say ladies. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I always start the show off by asking my CEOs and their advisors about what are the trends in their area of expertise that they think other CEOs should know. So, Myrna, I'll toss that over to you. What do you think um, our CEOs need to know about publishing and self-publishing, which I know is your is your ballywick? Well, as as a CEO, I mean, to be involved in what I do, it takes a passion. And CEOs, the trend today is everything is mostly online. People want to publish and still want to publish and still want to see a, a book in hand. So that they're now the trend is that they're going to ebook. And then possibly wanting to challenge the hardcover or the softcover book. When you say they, who is they? The customer, the client, the potential client. It can be a school. It can be an organization. It can be an individual. They're now, because everything is either on Kindle or Nook or some kind of computer savvy equipment, people are now focusing more on the ebook, but they're not completely eliminating the book the book cover that everybody thought was coming to an end. So when you say, um, you know, when you're talking about the customers, are you talking about the people who would be going to publish or readers? Both. Okay. Both. People who are going to publish, the first thing they want to know is how favorable is ebook for me? Mm -hmm. Because it's cheaper. It's cheaper and they believe that it's going to go further. They think that there are no longer readers out there that are actually going to walk into a store you know, of course, you saw Borders went out of business. Right. Okay. But it's a merge between Borders and Barnes and Nobles. It's not like they totally went out of business, but it was easier to work that way because people were just not going into that store and they were going online quickly. It's the first thing that first place people want to go to is Amazon.com and Barnes and Nobles online. Mm -hmm. And so, re you know, readers and authors, potential authors want to have the first market that's available for them that's probably going to make them the best seller. They're hoping to be the best seller. And that's what's what's happening. They're transitioning to online first and hardcover or softcover second. And do you have a sense of what the split is? I would say today it's 60-40. 60 favoring online. Okay. And is that the actual reading of the book or the um, new... Uh, New books being um, published are going are being published through ebook. Sixty percent of them are being published on ebook. Uh, yeah, I would say sixty forty is not just being published. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I would say sixty sixty percent is ebook. Okay, because people don't want to carry anymore other than their iPads mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. their iPhones. You know, it's easier. Mm -hmm. It's a transition that's easier, but. I mean, the reality sets in that at some point your battery is going to die. Yeah. Or we may have this massive blackout or some tragedy may happen that we may be out of power for a week. Then what happens? So people are still seeing that the book is still a value asset mm. in communication. 
And a lot of uh, of our listeners are going to be CEOs of companies that are in some sort of a professional service or they're in a knowledge business of some kind where the intellectual property they have is the, the chief asset of the business. How important do you think that uh, publishing is for those kinds of CEOs, either publishing personally um, or publishing on behalf of their company? I think that a CEO, of course, we all know, represents the entire company. You're, you are the heart of the company. So people should, you can either per, do personal publishing to introduce yourself to your staff. You know, that's that's a sense of communication. You know, if you hire somebody for the first time, sometimes you want people to know about you, who you are and how it works and what your interest is in your company. And then, of course, there are materials that you give out. You know, your HR materials and all those things, they all consist of publishing. It's the quality of work that you want. Either you want a Xerox copy quality or you want something bound mm. that's better quality and, and just represents your company in a better way. Mm. And uh, as you think about the split between electronic media and the old print media and that being you know, certainly a trend that we're all very, very aware of, um, you also mentioned that that print media continues to persist. So tell us a little bit about what's happening with self-publishing versus uh, traditional publishing and how 3G fits into that. First of all, 3G is a self-publishing company with traditional values. And that means this. Self-publishing, you go and you go to a company and they give you a book. You give them your, your manuscript. Most of the time, our clients will have it already edited, cleaned, the cover ready, everything. And then you come to us and we just put it in book form for you and into distribution for you. Now, not all self-publishing companies have the ability to have a massive distribution for you. You could be very limited. So you have to do your research as a, you, when you're going to a self-publishing company. Traditional, of course, those are the big six that will come out to you and say, you sent us your, your query and we like it. And we're going to give you an advance. They might give you an advance for $5,000 or whatever. It depends on who you are and how many books you've published. Okay, so there's a dependency. Yeah, I think Hillary there. Clinton got like a million dollar advance for her book. <laughs> well, yeah, look, I mean, we're talking about Hillary Clinton, right? <laughs> you know, so I'm just saying for, for these young writers today and, and people that send out their queries out to all these, the, the top six, it's very difficult today because of self, self-publishing. Self-publishing is really gone wild. It is like everybody can self-publish. Most people want to self-publish. But the downside to that, if, the, if you haven't done your research, you're going to end up miserable with a bad book, looks terrible, but you did it yourself. You know, I'm published. You know, it doesn't count. It doesn't move you anywhere. It doesn't get your story out. So we at 3G, I decided that I wanted to do a different type of self-publishing company. I may not give you an advance, but traditional companies, they care about you. They run after you. They advertise you. They do all of this thing, these things for you. They have somebody assigned to you. Well, so do I. I, so, I go after you. I make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. I give you the same value to your product that someone that's paying you in advance did. But you're paying me. You're paying me. And you communicate with me. I have several clients, you know, close to almost 73 clients. If they call me, they call me direct. There's not a, 
okay, just send me an email and I'll attempt to get back to you. No, it's a, a 24 hour return call, 24 hour email response. I respond to everything. I care about my clients. That's the difference between 3G publishing and every self-publishing company out there. So I know that a lot of my listeners may at some point have a book inside of them. One question I have for you is talk to us about realistic expectations. So uh, most of us are not going to be able to publish a book that sells a million copies and makes us $10 million, et cetera. And if it's fiction gets picked up to do a, a movie and then all of a sudden, you know, we're off to races and we have a big franchise like um, uh, J.K. Rowling, right? So that's probably not going to be the business model for most of uh, most people who self-publish. So tell us a little bit about what the trajectory really looks like. Okay. When people come to me and say, I want to do this. I have been holding on to this manuscript for 10 years. I believe that it's a bestseller. I just look at them <laughs> just with a sympathetic look. <laughs> and I say, well, you have to have another reason why you want to publish this book. And it can't be because you want to be a bestseller. It has to be because you have a passion and you believe that there's an audience that you can share it with, whether it be five people or a million Okay, you have to be, you have to in your mind set that even if five people read this, I will be happy. And they kind of come down a few notches. And then I tell them, you know, let me, let me give them a good example. The Holy Bible has never been on the bestseller list. And I can guarantee you that there's almost one in everybody's house. Okay, so please love what you're about to write about. I'm going to make it a book. You're going to be happy. But first of all, if you want to really sell it, know your demographics. And I do not like for them. They don't leave my office feeling uh, deflated because I said, you may never see the bestseller list. They feel pretty good because I tell them, you have to love what you're writing. If you have a passion for it, if that book is only going to be on your shelf, then so be it. You've done it. You've accomplished it. But if you know your demographics and you know the audience that you want to reach, I'll help you get there. I'll show you how to do it. What I'm hearing, and, I, and, I, and it's so funny because it feels like it's ironic, but you're talking about business, applying business fundamentals to the publishing of the book. So if your book only has a market of five people, you're never going to be a bestseller because you'll sell whatever that market will bear. Uh and so you're saying if you want to have a bestseller, then you need to do the, the same kinds of analyses that you would do for any business that you would be starting. That's right. Because being, becoming an author, if you're serious, is a job and a very hard job because there are a lot of people that have your title. It's a lot of competition. Extremely. So if you, if you get it right, you can still fit with the other 100,000 people that are doing your same demographics. If, they, if they're doing children, if they're doing... Science fiction, fantasy, science fiction, business, all genres, sales. Right, right. You're all still in the same category, an author trying to be a bestseller. And I have authors that have sold a lot, a lot of books and should have been in the bestseller list. But they did those sales on their own not through the distributions of Barnes and Nobles and Amazon.com or anybody else online. They hustled. Got, they hustled. They got their hustle on 
And they went and had everything ready. That when they called me, I need a thousand copies. Almost 800 of those copies for that man went to people that of interest to him. Freebies all over the country. So you have to have an investment. You have to be wanting to do that. It, it just doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, so that's kind of the realistic, you know, what's most likely to happen. Um, what is the pathway to a bestseller for somebody who is self-published? If you have a case study or anybody that you can talk about who has gotten to the point through self-publishing for, you know, selling 100,000 or a couple hundred thousand copies, how does that work? How do people go from, I have a book, you know, I have an idea, it is in a large target market, and they end up getting into the right distribution channels. What, what does that look like? Again, I go back to the demographics and knowing who you want to, to see your book. Because when you're ready, when that book hits print and your list is ready and you've already talked to these people and you've already promised them pre-orders and you've given them samples like a query, 10 or 15 pages, those people are hungry and they're waiting. So you have to, you really have to get your hustle on. You have to work it. You have to know your market. And it's going to sell. It's going to sell. And if you do the, if you send a lot of people in order to get on the bestseller list, don't realize that there are certain stores, bookstores, that don't count. They, they, there's a there's a counting rate, like say Barnes and Noble. You get more points in certain stores than others. Yes, mm. more acknowledgement. Barnes and Nobles is like the heart, the market. The Am- Amazon has their own bestseller list. It's not like you're on the New York Times. You're on the Amazon bestseller list, but probably means you're making more money than off the New York times. And and then (laughs) at the bottom of your book, you know, you can say bestseller list. It didn't matter whether it was Amazon or New York times. I'm still putting it on bestseller on my clients. Um, if their first book was a bestseller, I put on their second book, bestseller of the, 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 and the former title. So you don't put New York times if you want to put New York times, but does it matter? You made the bestseller list. It doesn't matter. But now on Amazon.com, it's getting more difficult. Because there's to a get whole the game. Best. There's a whole game, like, you know. Millions of books. Yeah. Around it. And so there, there's, a, there's kind of two sides to it, though. Because if you put it on Barnes & Nobles, okay, and you sell your books... You may get on the bestseller list, but you get this very little percentage of money. Mm-hmm. I had a book for $29.99, and I received as a royalty for each book that I sold on Barnes & Nobles $1.22. That's not money to me. When I sold it on my own, I made I bought, bought it wholesale for $11, and then I made my whole $29.99. So I made everything back. And that's where your profit margin is bigger when you take control of your book. Because the minute that Barnes and Nobles or Amazon.com want to sell your book below the price that they paid wholesale, you get nothing. Because they also get a discount. So if my book was $29.99, they get a 55% discount to even carry my book. So what I'm getting the royalty from is from that wholesale price that they paid. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's a difficult market, but you can, you can really conquer it. 
if you go out there and, and you're ready for it. You say, this is really what I want to do. Awari, one of the things I wanted to ask you, just switching gears a little bit, is what do you think it takes to actually put out a high quality product? I self-published a book and it was awful. <laughs> it, it's an emba- it was an embarrassment. So <laughs> how, do, how do people not do that? Um, I'm going to piggyback off of something that Myrna said. Um, first of all, you have to be passionate about what you're writing. You have to, uh, whether it's your own story or whether you're making up a story, you have to be invested in that story. You have to um, flesh everything out. You have to develop the story, develop your characters. You have to pinpoint exactly the message or messages you're trying to get across. Um, And as an editor, uh, plenty of times I've had to help people mold their story, if you will. I think there's a book in all of us, but some of us have challenges when it comes to actually putting it on paper and making it flow and making it even make sense at times. But I tell people, just write, just write. Don't worry about grammatical errors. Don't worry about if it makes sense the first time around. Just write, just think about it, put down your thoughts and just keep writing until you feel that you are finished. And then as an editor, I come and I bring it all together and I read it several times to get your voice. Then I can better help you, um, put it into um, put it into a whole package where it makes sense, it flows, and the messages are presented and uh, presented well enough to be received by your audience. But I, I tell people all the time, if you have an idea, develop it first. Take the time, outline it. Even if it's, um, I call it like a mini vision board, just a one page, and you just... It's kind of like blind thoughts. Just write down what, what you're going to say or and what you want to say. For fiction and for people who have fiction. For and, anything. Okay. For anything. You have to flesh it out. You have to develop it. You have to um, figure out what you want to say and how you want to say it. Not necessarily how you want to say it at first, but what you want to say, what you want to write, what thoughts you want to uh, invoke, what, what feelings you want to invoke. So I tell people the first thing is... Be passionate about your story and develop it. And that can just be a hundred words on a page just to start. And then just start to write your story. Don't worry about if it makes sense at first. Just write. And what kind of time investment do you typically see people making in writing this first, the first book? How much time do you think it takes? Mm, I, I really believe that depends on your level of passion for your project. Uh, There are people who have been working on books for years. There are people who've written books in 30 days, 10 days. I think it just it's just what your level of passion is and and how far you want to go and how quickly you want to get there. Because some people will take the time to do their research and develop their story and then write it within 30 days or, or 20 days. Others have been somewhat like me writing all their lives. So I have tons of stuff that I've been writing since I was a child, but creatively, you know, never really having um, the idea that one day it might be published or one day hundreds of people might read my stuff. I just wrote because I love journaling. I love making up stories. But now I have these stories that I've been working on for years that 
Now I'm just saying, you know what? I think my stuff is good enough to be published. Let me polish it, put it together, and get it out there. Um, so it, it just depends. But for the people who've had things uh, ongoing for years, I tell them, you know, don't get discouraged. It, it, it all works out the way it's supposed to be. If it took you 10 years to develop your story, it just took you 10 years. If it took you 24 hours, if it took you two weeks, that's how long it took you to develop your story. That's the way it was meant to be. So now you come to us and we help you get it out there to the masses. And what about, so Myrna was saying that it's really important to have a target, have to know your target demographic, et cetera. What about people who write something but don't have a target demographic in mind? What, what do you counsel for them? We, we walk them through it. We sit down, they bring their manuscript. Um, I have people that actually record because they can't write, they can't do it. They, they have a thought and it comes to them and it's great, but they can't put it on, in, on paper. And I've learned that people can talk better than they can write. All of us can. I mean, we have spoken here clearly. We know in our minds where the commas and the periods go, but some people don't. So I make them record it. There is no story that can't be told. You record it or you write it. And we tell them, we say, okay, this is what you need to do. Your book sounds like it should go to breast cancer. Individuals that have suffered with breast cancer. You're writing about your mother who had breast cancer. She had, this, this is the group of people that I believe that would really get something out of this story. And that's how we do it. We walk them through it. We, I'll be honest with you, I have never turned anyone away. And we have people that come to us that have never passed the fifth grade and have written books that have sold amongst their demographics. Wherever they wanted to sell it, we help them to get to those places. We show them. And some of these people obviously don't know how to use a computer. So we show them. We print out lists on how easy all these people, all these organizations would have an interest in what you're selling. Hmm. So this is the route we're going to take. And they're, they're happy with it. And they keep it moving. They don't, we don't hold their hand forever. But enough that they're confident enough that I could do this. Mm-hmm. And they go for it. So, Awari, when somebody is coming to 3G, what do they actually need to bring with them? It sounds to me like there are many places on the spectrum. But... Best in the best case scenario, what do you expect for them to bring to the process when they come and they want to be self-published? From an editor's point of view, again, their true story. Do they have to bring a manuscript? Do they need to have the cover already? Do they need to have all that stuff inside? And do they, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Awari gets all the manuscripts. Uh Uh-huh. That's all that I bother her for. I need her <laughs> art in editing. Got it. <laughs> so th- when they come to me, they come with their manuscript. And a lot of them don't come with a cover. But I help them get through it to figure it out. I do a quick sketch of what they're talking about. And then I say, okay, well, this is how I visualize that cover. What do you think? And then we'll pull up some images that they might 
have an interest in go relating to the sketch that I just showed them. And that's how they pick their cover. And then we go from there. I mean, they, we take them step at a time instead of bombarding them, especially mm-hmm. people that have never written anything before and have even a difficult time communicating. I've had two people thus far that really don't communicate with the outside world. They work, they come home, they have no concept, but they have a story to tell, something that happened. And so I, they come to my office and I make them very comfortable and I let them know that their story is important if it's important to them. And then we get the cover together. It takes a few weeks. Some people come in and they say, well, I need my book by such and such a date. The date is 30 days away. And their book obviously needs massive editing. <laughs> okay. So I just look at them kindly. <laughs> and I said, baby, you can't have this for this May. But <laughs> there should be something of importance to you happening before the end of the year. And they'll, well, I says, there are other important dates. There are other important dates. Let's, let's find one. But this is, I've, I've got to give this to the editor. It's got to go to the illustrator and the, the book, the cover designer. So if you want something good, I'm going to let them know right then and there. I can give you what everybody else gives you in 30 days. And it looks flip-flop and it looks like, who put this out here? But you see, my name goes on the back of that book. So it's going to have to be my way. And most of the time, you know, I've only had maybe three people in nine years that have said, oh, well, I can't really publish with you then because you can't meet my deadline. I said, I don't have a problem with that because my name goes on that book. And so it's a reflection of our company, so we can't do it. So it's not a problem. We we work with them as much as we can. And when we can't, when it seems like, you know, it's compromising us, we're not going to do it. Very good. So let's turn to turn the conversation a little bit to how you work together. And in the second segment of the show, we always talk about how our guests support each other in business. And so Myrna, you chose to bring Awari with you. Talk talk to us about how you work together and, and why you brought her. <laughs> Aurora and I have a great deal of fun together. Yes, we do. Even in the worst of assignments, (laughs) because we have had a few. We've had a few, you know, we've had to deal with individuals that are college graduates, masters in English, all this stuff. And um, they can't take criticism very well. And so we have actually <laughs> laughed ourselves until we cry, mm-hmm. really, until we that that. And so we have a communication. Mm-hmm. I respect what it is getting along with a worry or my illustrators or designers is very easy for me because I respect the fact that they can do something that I can't. I have knowledge, but I don't have the wherewithal to do it by myself. I mean, if I had to, if. God forbid one of them got ill and I had to jump in. Ooh, get ready. <laughs> this book may be free for my client. <laughs> because, you know, I would have to just figure mm-hmm. it out. But, and and I, I think that they respect me because they can come to me with anything. I know that the world is, is not just simple. Things happen. We can have an assignment that is due in three days and somebody got ill. I have to pick up the ball. I have to run with it, do the best that I can, pass it to them when they can come back and meet that deadline for my client. I I don't ever want my client to reap that. 
but my staff is important to me too, because without a good staff, I couldn't do it. it this, it's just not possible. And they, she has the integrity that I have and the passion that I have for what I do. And that's really the main common denominator. Mm-hmm. And Awari, you, you seem like you're uh, like, uh, you're no pushover and clearly Myrna, <laughs> Myrna's not. So how does that, how does it work when you have a, 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 you know, somebody that you're working for that has a strong personality? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I love Myrna to death. And when she came into my life about four or five years ago, um, she she changed my whole pers- perspective about what and who a writer really is, what an author is. Um, as I mentioned before, I've been writing all my life creatively. So never in a million years had I imagined that one day I would be an editor and help others get their story out and write creatively. Uh, so when I started editing with Myrna, to be honest with you, I didn't think I was an editor. I knew I was good with words. I knew I loved uh, reading. Um, I knew I loved uh, human interest stories. So when I started editing with Myrna and number one, watching her as the CEO of this company and taking such great care of her clients, I mean, taking a, a, a valued interest in them and not just focusing on getting a book out but focusing on the person, focusing on their message, focusing um, all the things that she mentioned on their demographics and really helping them, hand-holding them all the way through the process. So I, you know, I felt privileged to be a part of the process, but it was so rewarding to have a client come in who just, like she said, most people talk better than they write. And I've seen some writing where I've had to put it all together but I, I, I amazed myself that I was able to find people's voice very easily, even in the chaos of their writing. Um, so in doing that, um, I've just developed such a love of helping other people get their story out, um, even more so than uh, some of my, my writing. You know, I love to write and I've never, you know, been on this this quest to be published or anything like that, um, which now I am, thanks to Myrna and this experience. I have a lot of stuff to get out, um, and I love writing screenplays. So, but what one of the things I've enjoyed working with 3G Publishing is the fact that I get to help others get their story out there, whether they have a fifth grade education, whether they have a PhD, I help them get their story out. And I, I make sure their message is clear. I make sure their, their thoughts are concise. I make sure that it is something that the world needs to hear. What's your advice, Myrna, for CEOs to build a cohesive team? There are two types of CEOs. There are those that built the company from the ground up. And there are those that inherited the company. It's a legacy in their family. Or they could have been hired. Or they could have they could have been hired, and and they could have been hired. But the main ones that have really a control factor are those that have either from the ground up, from the ground up, or inherited. Those are the, the ones you hire. They do what you tell them to do. They do what the board says to do. My thing is that as a CEO, I have to have knowledge 
of what it is that I'm selling to the public that's being put out by the people that I've hired. If I don't have any knowledge, I don't want to sound like an ignoramus <laughs> when somebody calls me and says, uh, what do you do here on for an illustrator or for design? What what you know? What kind of systems do you use? Do you use what kind of computers? What what's the software? What's the, the you know? People ask those things because they want to see if you know if they can you know have it printed somewhere else. There's certain specs that you need. Most CEOs in my position don't have to know that. They hired somebody to to know that, but I do know that. It's important for me just to have the knowledge. It 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 makes my team feel safe as well. Because if they're if they're unable to do something, they've been caught between a rock and a hard place and they they can't come to me and they think they're going to be fired for it. My team is going to dwindle. All my good people are going to go. And I tell you, the people that have worked for me since I've been since 2009 in business are still with me. I, I the only time I had to get someone else to fill in a spot is because that person left, you know, going to other things or wanted to retire or just do their own thing. But I try to inspire my staff. That's I, a big word, inspire. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. I, I really do. I give them credit for everything on all the books. They're, they're just, they're, they self, they, they also publish through me because that's one of the gifts that I give them yearly, you know, that they can publish through me and um, at, at no cost. Because they invest so much of themselves. And I just think it's important. To me, my staff is family. There's no difference. I mean, I spend more time with them than I do with my family. (laughs) You know, and they give me something back on a constant. So just kind of be willing to hold their hands. Don't be too busy and so wound up that you don't have the time. You got to make the time for people that care for you and care for your business. So what are some of the things that you do to inspire people? Because inspire is, a, is an important thing. And, you know, usually when they come to me, I we have conversations in depth of who they are, who they want to be, where they want to go. I had a, a freelancer that she was 64 and she had never done freelance before. You know, she sketches a lot, really nice artwork. She's never sold it. She's never done anything with it. And I believe I was an inspiration to her to start doing um, watercolor and selling her art pieces. And she, she does work for me, but it's now she's like set off on her own and doing this business and doing these, these murals on people's walls for their children. And She's just so full of joy. She looks like she could do that until, you know, till she's 90 now. And she just started at six. She started doing it and selling it at 64 because I told her that she, her work had value. And I want, I use her for my children's books. So when I inspired her to find herself while she helps me, it's, it's an awesome payoff. Mm. even though she's not going to work for me anymore after next month <laughs> because she's too busy. <laughs> but that's okay. Next time I'll get me a real young person. I told her, I told her, I said, Sandy, next time I'm going to get me a real young person so I can inspire them and they can stay with me until I retire. <laughs> she says, that's, that, that'll work for you. 
But it's it, that's it's important. It's important to look at what's her interest. Pick at it. Make her wanna pull it out. Inspire her to do something good for herself and you know for her family. It. I mean, I, I have twenty grandchildren. I'm inspiring every day. <laughs> <laughs> They're calling me and like, Nana, please, can you do that? Can I possibly? Yes, you can do it. Go for it. That's mm-hmm. funny. And um, you talk about taking a personal interest in your employees. Um, how do you, I mean, in this world where it feels like everything is so not personal, you know, everything is is so uh, kind of androgynous and, you know, digital and, you know, removed and distant. Um, and then we're all under so much time pressure because of the proliferation of information that we have to digest on a daily basis. How do you, how does the CEO really, you know, I, I say find the time or generate the desire to, to really have a personal interest in the people who work for them? When they send me an email or call me, I respond. I, there's nothing more irritating to me when I was in corporate America, when I would call my boss, I wouldn't get a response for two days. And she could be in the next office. There was something pending and she put it on me, but I needed help. There was no communication. You know, unless I barged in there like a crazy person after two days. I I feel that communication is the key to any relationship. Any relationship. Corporate, personal. Family. Family. Communication is key. Even if it's just to say to somebody, I'm calling you now. I don't have the time to talk, but I'm going to call you back. I just wanted you to know that. A text. You know, let's talk. Sometimes I, I, I don't, I'm not big on texting. I'm big on hearing your voice, your tone mm-hmm. on what you may be going through. So texting doesn't always work for me. And then texting is so ambiguous. It can be interpreted two different ways. You could be saying something really sweet and it comes out, what does she mean by that? <laughs> oh my God. You know, and that's not <laughs> what I said, you know? So I'm really big on, on, on I need to hear your voice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, because mm-hmm. Aurori knows I'll call her 10 times. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, might, I might leave a message the ninth time, maybe. <laughs> but, it, and they know when I'm calling it's because, and if I call back, they know I want to talk. And she tells you, you better call me back. <laughs> so you have no choice. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Great, 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 great. So thank you, ladies, for a wonderful show. If um, So tell us about anything that's happening at 3G that you think our CEO listeners would be interested in. Well, 3G Publishing right now is actually looking for companies that would like to invest in a creative writing program that we're doing. We did a pilot at Lovin Elementary uh, in Gwinnett County where a class of fifth graders joined together and the teacher picked the topic, which was history. And each student represented a chapter and represented an individual that they learned about during that year. But they were to become those individuals and make the story their own. It was beautiful. It's called a travel through time. And what we're trying to do is to inspire students from all walks to tell their story 
And it doesn't have to be a story that you particularly have to like. It's their truth. So whether it be, it could be any subject and the teacher takes control of that topic and we do it so that the schools can also have a fundraiser for the students. Because, you know, I'm getting tired of cookies. I'm getting tired <laughs> of candy. It's making me, yeah, it's, it's affecting oh, the waistline. Uh, yes, it's affecting the waistline. I'm, I'm tired of, you know, my grandchildren saying, Get I, I, want, I want a tennis court. I mean, I want, I want a tennis rack. I says, have you ever played tennis, baby? Where are you going to play? I just want it. I, I, if I sell $1,800 worth of candy, I'll buy you one. <laughs> but if you, I mean, if you could see those kids when we did the launch at the school, the way they felt as authors, it was breathtaking. It, you couldn't measure the excitement. It was so great. And the best part was that the teacher found that the, partici the participation of the students of those that don't even like to write, the fact that they were going to be published, they wanted part. They wanted in on it. The kids edited the work with their teacher and their parents were involved. That was the greatest part of it because the school mentioned to me that there were parents that don't ever participate in anything that participated. And so it was great. And so that's what we're trying to do in the community. And so we're looking, we're working on it now. We're sending out packages all over um, to the schools as well. And of course, and then to community leaders and businesses. We haven't received any responses from the businesses, but that's okay because either way we proceed, we keep moving because that is what we want to do. And we'll also, you know, try to work with all other nonprofit organizations such as Mary Hall Freedom House. And um, there's an ovarian cancer organization that we're working with that we're going to have these people telling their stories so that they can also use their book as a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. just sort of trying to help the community in places where it would be cost effective for them. Listeners want to get in touch with you to hear anything more about what they've uh, heard on today's show. How can they do that? Well, they can reach us at info at 3gpublishinginc.com or they can call us at 888-442-9637 and they can also see the works that we've done at www.3gpublishinginc.com. Wonderful. Thank you, ladies, for a great show. Thank, Thank you. you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.